Before his diagnosis of stage four lung cancer, Dr. Gregory Jones, a professor, a husband, and a father of two, lived an active and full life. My life was perfectly normal. I, I uh, teach at the University of Georgia. I have two, two relatively young kids, 10 and 13 today. And I really enjoyed hiking and camping and being outside and playing with our dogs. 14 years ago, doctors discovered a nodule on Gregory's lung, and they monitored it closely. At each scan, doctors determined that all the evidence showed that the nodule wasn't an issue. But a little over a year ago, Gregory went to the hospital complaining of shortness of breath and fatigue. A new scan showed that Gregory's lungs had what's called a malignant pleural effusion, which is essentially harmful fluid around the lung. Surgery was needed to remove the fluid, and it was during surgery that doctors determined the diagnosis based on what they found, stage 4 metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. For Gregory, a non-smoker who lived an active life, this diagnosis was not something he expected. So honestly, when I first heard, I was out of it. I was, I was still recovering from surgery. And what I remember is just my fam, my wife and my family in, you know, hysterical at the news around me, and I was just sort of numb to it all. You know, I, didn't, I didn't know exactly how to respond. Gregory's first oncologist had broken this difficult news to him in a way that he felt lacked compassion and empathy. He felt as if he was being treated like another patient and not as a person. What you want is you want somebody who's a serious scientist, but at the same time will, you know, have some empathy uh, when, when the news is not good. And in the situation I'm in, the news is most often not good. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, and patients, I think most patients, myself included, we learn to... We learn to process that, and we learn to deal with that, but it takes a while. And if, if, when you're first hearing the diagnosis, you're not there yet. You're not ready for that. Seeking more compassion and honesty, Gregory asked for a new oncologist, who he immediately felt connected with. Her name is Dr. Gladney, and Gregory felt she was open, honest, and truly cared. She told Gregory that despite the cancer being in the late stage, treatment options were available. She explained that he was eligible for gene-targeted treatment, which attacks a person's genetic mutation. Despite having a plan of action in place, Dr. Gladney recognized that there were lingering issues that needed to be addressed beyond treatment. One of the things she did in that early consult was she said, I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to refer you to a colleague of mine who's in palliative care. Now, palliative care is specialized medical care for people with serious illness. It's appropriate at any age and at any stage in your illness and you can have it along with your curative treatment. The goal is to relieve symptoms and stress and improve your quality of life. The palliative care team is made up of doctors, nurses, social workers, chaplains, and other specialists who all work together to get you back to living your life. Palliative comes from the word palliate, which means to ease or relieve. And what palliative care does is finds ways to support and ease and relieve symptoms and those symptoms can be anything from the physical to the emotional to the spiritual to the financial. Whatever is the issue at hand, we'd like to find ways to make it better. That's Dr. Anna Skold, who leads Gregory's palliative care team. Now, as we mentioned, when patients go to palliative care, they keep their doctors as well. This means that the palliative care team has to be in close coordination with the patient's other doctors. I have come to understand the dynamics uh, between me, the patient, 
and Dr. Gladney, the oncologist, and Dr. Scold, the palliative care physician. And without both of those people, uh, we, we could not have achieved what we've achieved. You know, Dr. Gladney needs Dr. Scold to be able to do her job effectively and vice versa. And, and they're just a great team. When Gregory first walked into that palliative care meeting, he was dealing with shortness of breath, post-surgical chest pain, gastrointestinal issues, and was feeling very fatigued. Another issue was the stress and anxiety stemming from the uncertainty of his situation. For me, it was that the, you know, the, the prognosis was really bad. And I already sort of had a tendency to catastrophize and immediately cut to the worst possible outcome. Um, and I was pretty anxious. And, and Dr. Cladney was gentle about it, but she said, you know, I just think that if you would go see Dr. Scold and her team, that they would be able to help you out with a lot of the things that are going on. And she, and she even said to me, she said, look, do it, do it for me because it'll help me do my job better. How do we treat a whole person, um, not just a disease, and not just the physical symptoms, but the emotional and the spiritual well-being of human beings? Um, who's dealing with uh, a serious illness but still has all these other parts of them that we often don't get to touch upon in the medical world and I think is so very important. Gregory discusses the first meeting with palliative care. I remember arriving and sitting in the waiting room and the first person that I encountered was Dr. Skold, social worker. And she came out and she spoke to me for a few minutes with just this quiet, kind voice, not talking about anything medical, but just where are you, how are you, are you ready for us to get to know one another? Uh, and I went in the back and sat down with an entire team, and I spent an hour and a half with that whole team. When was the last time you spent more than 10 minutes with a physician? We have the patient and all their loved ones going to a conference room with the physician, the nurse, the social worker, and the chaplain in the conference room. And we have the patient usually sit at the head of the table unless they want to sit somewhere else. And we have the family sitting next to them, and we're all around the table as equals. And then we start by just asking the patient to tell kind of a little bit about themselves, like where they were born, um, what they did for a living, who their family members are. We get a lot of very interesting stories. Um, it usually is heartfelt and funny and um, very relaxing because we're asking people to tell about things that they want to talk about. One of the things that stands out in my memory of that first meeting was that Dr. Scold would ask questions, ask me if I had questions. We would discuss something. I would sometimes get on a tangent about, you know, the things that I was perceiving to be imminent losses for me. And she would patiently listen. Everybody would patiently listen. And then we would get to a break in the conversation and nobody would speak. It would just be quiet. And then Dr. Skull would say, now I want to make sure that all of your questions are answered. We'll just sit here for a minute because you'll think of something else. I thought, wow. 
Japan. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is I'm not accustomed to. <laughs> Now let's get specific about how palliative care helped Gregory. We'll break it up into three categories, pain, stress, and setting goals. In terms of pain, there are medications available to treat pain, but choosing medications is a different story for every patient. And the tightrope you're trying to walk is having medication that alleviates pain, but doesn't keep you from being able to function or be able to spend quality time with loved ones. I try, if I use medication, I try to hit more than one symptom at the same time with whatever medication I'm using, if I'm using as, as little as possible. By choosing medication that sought to manage pain but also help with fatigue, Gregory started to see a difference in his well-being. So in the beginning, they were the ones that were able to provide for me some pain medication, some, you know, some drugs to help, but also some advice in terms of just not putting myself through pain, but listening to the pain and and breathing through the pain in order to to realize that that it's something that I might be able to control without medication. By starting that, his anxiety got under control, his pain was improved, his energy level was improved, and he just needed that to kind of get him in the right direction, honestly. And then he did everything himself. Because pain management is not one-size-fits-all from patient to patient, Anna gives her medical recommendations, but puts the patient in the driver's seat. The one thing about the, you know, the palliative team, Dr. Scold in particular, was that I don't, I didn't have to justify the need for the medication, nor did I have to ascribe to any sort of particular regime. It was what was what was more likely to help me, is what she was always willing to do. In terms of anxiety. Part of it is having members of the palliative care team listen to a patient's anxieties and stresses. But it's also about providing a patient clear information about their illness, treatment options, and prognosis so they can leave each meeting with a sense of where they are and what the steps forward might look like. She was being upfront and completely honest with me. While I was in a safe place with a bunch of other people who had different viewpoints to share, there was this team of people who could solve annoyances for me. We give people a safe space to vent, and we don't necessarily try and correct them. Um, you know, if something's egregiously wrong and my correcting that information will make them feel better, I do, because that allows them to vent and then realize, you know, well, maybe that piece of it uh, I don't need to be angry about anymore. So I, I will correct something that I think would be beneficial for them to know. But otherwise, allowing somebody to freely vent, get it all out on the table, and just we're there to listen and be empathic and find ways to make it better is incredibly therapeutic. They need to feel heard. And they need to feel safe when they're doing it. And, and that's something that palliative care can do. There's a trust relationship that I have with her now, and I think this is, this is so critical in the palliative context. The doctor's goal tells me like it is. She's not going to candy coat it. She's going to be kind, but she's going to tell me the truth. And because I trust that so fully, that means that when she tells me that things are not so bad, I also trust that. 
For Gregory, his anxiety has lessened because he feels heard. You feel like suddenly, okay, my priority is their priorities. And the entire time that I have been living through this ordeal, I couldn't get anybody to give me a straight discussion on what you know, the, the real prognosis was going to be. And when I said that, Dr. Skold said, well, I'm happy to talk about prognosis. We mentioned the palliative care specialists help patients set goals. Now, the reason is it's always important to have something to work towards. That could be something as small as finding the strength to come downstairs to have dinner or something major like a vacation or going back to work. For Gregory, he had an important goal in mind. I had registered for a big epic hike that was coming up that April, 22 miles in the mountains of Tennessee, quite rocky, all in one day. And I'd been training for it. Uh, and then, of course, my, my training disappeared for a couple of months at least. And then I, I got back to it, and I remember talking to Dr. Skoll about it in one of those um, appointments during that time, would it, getting her clearance. He really wanted to do it, and, and we said, yeah, you should do it. Again, goal setting, let's get you back to things, let's get you back to fun stuff. And he, he set that as his own goal. She said, you, you tell me what you want to do, and I'll, I'll put together a little care package of drugs and things that, that you might need. Uh, I'll make sure that you have what you need to accomplish what it is that you want to do. And in April, I, I went on that hike with about 20 great friends who promised to, to get me out if I had to be get, gotten out, but I, I made it through myself, and uh, that was a huge victory. I shouldn't even be alive. Instead, I'm walking 20 miles. Sometimes in an illness, there are good days, like the hiking day, but sometimes there are bad ones. While Gregory's treatment worked for a while, a scan recently showed that the cancer is still growing. When I got that news, I, I called Dr. Skold's office and I said, I need, I need to talk to you. Because spending 30 minutes with Dr. Skold just completely calmed me down. Today, as Gregory faces an uncertain future, he feels prepared thanks to palliative care. How do you plan a life around such interminable uncertainty. You know, you just can't. Uh, and, and that's what I would say palliative care has done for me more than anything. They've given me the tools, you know, the, the psychological tools, the spiritual tools, the medical tools uh, to plan and execute a life of meaning and purpose under that uncertainty, I'm I'm back teaching my full load. I, in fact, I was back in mid-January last year. I hadn't been out of the hospital but a month, and I was back teaching. And and I that for me is is very fulfilling. Um, and that's and I don't think I would have been able to do that or the hiking or the rock climbing without the support that the palliative team gives me. It's been six months since Gregory first went to palliative care. And now that his pain is better managed, his anxiety is lessened, and he has goals going forward 
Anna has noticed a difference. He will even say, other than the cancer, I'm the healthiest I've ever been. And I think he's the healthiest he's ever been emotionally, too, which is which is amazing. You know, she's always interested in, whenever I see her, she's always interested. What have you got going on in the shop? And what hikes have you done recently? And loves to see pictures. I always encourage all my patients to make all their good selves as healthy as possible, right? And I always say it like that. So, you know, for whatever disease process you're coping with, the doctors are trying to, like in cancer, trying to attack the bad cells. And the part that you're in charge of is making the good cells as good as possible, as healthy as possible, because you want as many good cells in the piggy bank for whatever side effects and things come down the line. Anna says Gregory's story is important and speaks to what palliative care is and how it can help patients with serious illnesses. When we first met him, his anxiety was palpable. And and now it's, it's like sitting down with a, a friend having a cup of coffee. It's just relaxing. So, and, so you can feel it when you're with him. He is truly calm, truly enjoying life, truly in the moment, truly at peace. He, he is happy. He is, he is joyful. For more information on palliative care, visit getpalliativecare.org.